So we're back. I'm going to disappoint some of you. After all that Palm Sunday buildup we just had, you're going to have to use your imagination to imagine that this is a Palm Sunday sermon. Can, can you do that for me? Can you be nice to me? I just I couldn't get away from Ephesians. Friday night, we'll, we'll really get into Easter. Next Sunday, we'll really get into Easter. But today, I wanted to stay with something in Ephesians because we touched on it last week, and I wanted to cover it this week. So let's read a little bit, and then I'll point out in the reading what we're going to look at today. Uh, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 8. Paul writes, this is God's word. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Let me just pause and remind you, if we went back to verse 6, he tells us very plainly, this is what that plan is that was never revealed before. It was given to Paul to reveal it now in his time. And the, the plan is that at that point in human history, God would create a new humanity. So you would have Jew, you always had that for a long time. You had Gentile, you always had that. But now there's going to be one new man, and Jew and Gentile get united as one, 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 one in that new man envelope. So Paul says, I, this is my job, preach to the Gentiles and reveal the new, the new thing, that plan of the mystery that was hidden. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold, many-colored, like a kaleidoscope, you turn it and the colors just fold into one another, and that's what God's wisdom is like. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, and then there's a surprise. You expect him to say, be made known to humans, to, to the earth, to people, but no, he takes us up, that it now might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that got my interest, so it's going to get your interest, and we're going to think about what's he mean by, what's he, what's he writing about when he writes about revealing this truth of the one new man to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what we're really doing today is the, the biblical doctrine that would be called angelology. Angelology. We're going to do a study, a Bible study in angels because there are a lot of verses about angels, we're not going to look at all of them, but I'm going to read verses more than usual and say a little less than usual, and I hope that'll be okay with you. So to get us going, there are three great passages in God's Word, Daniel 7, Revelation 4, and Revelation 5, in which we are taken up into God's holy presence, we're taken up into the heavenly throne room, and we're given a, a glimpse, it's more than a glimpse, we're given a, a view, a vision, an understanding into who's there, what's going on there, and what is it like there in the holy presence of God. So three throne room passages, Daniel 7, Revelation 4, and Revelation 5. And if we were to read those passages, we would see that that God is there, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He is uncreated. He is eternal. He exists in and of himself. He gives life to all else. So God is there, but we would also see that there are created beings there. 
And just as on the planet there's variety in the created beings that God has made and put here, so in the heavenlies there is variety among the heavenly beings. And we would see there that there are seraphim and cherubim. There are thrones, the Bible calls some of them. There are dominions, there are principalities, powers, archangels, and angels. And among those, there are both holy and fallen, just like among people on the planet. There are those who love Jesus Christ and there are those who don't. Same thing up in heaven and they're all moving around together. It's not like you have all the fallen angels are over there somewhere and all the holy angels are over here somewhere. You probably picture it that way, but you're going to see in some of our verses today, no, they're actually all mixed in a group, just like we're all mixed in a group. And some of you love Jesus and some of you might not love Jesus. It's the same thing up there. But what we really want to see is that there are these rulers and authorities, that there is a, there's a a gradation of authority. There are different offices. There are different posts, just like we have um, in the family. There's the head of the household, and the, there's the, the wife, and she is to be submissive to her husband because he's head, as Christ is head of the church. And just as in government, there's you know president, and there are other people on down to the meter maid. And just as in the military, there's the five-star general, and there's the new recruitee. Uh, so just as in things on the earth, so in the heavens, there are gradations, there are different stages, there are rulers and there are authorities. But let me back up and give you some general angelology because we'll need to know some of this stuff as we get to their, their different positions, their different posts. So here's the first question I want to ask. How many angels are there? Well, there's a lot. Where do we see that in the Bible? Let's look. Couple of passages. First, Daniel 7, one of those throne room passages, and we read in Daniel 7, verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Verse 10. A stream of fire, like a river, a lake, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Now, how many beings were there, created beings? A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So how many angels are there? There are a lot. How many of these unseen beings are there? There are a lot. In fact, when he says, um, what was the second one? A thousand times 10,000, that means 100 million. But we shouldn't take that as being the real or the final number because here's what they're doing. Like in our day, if you wanted to, what's your biggest number? If you want to say if there was a whole lot of something, what's your big number? You'd say there's a million or there's a billion or maybe you'd even say a trillion. In their day, numbers weren't that big for most people and they would say 10,000. 10,000 was their big number. So he doubles that 10, or he, he, whatever the right term is, 10,000 times 10,000, and he comes up with 100 million. But we shouldn't imagine that that's an exact number. What we should understand is there's an awful lot of them, like at least 100 million, and maybe billions and billions of them. They just didn't have a number that large. Let's go to another throne room passage, Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. John writes, Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Now, what we should understand John to be describing or struggling to describe here is this is an impossibly high number. 
Like it's not a number that he had access to. No one knew a number big enough to say what is seen up there in that heavenly place. So basically he's saying, uh, like, don't picture God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and maybe there's two or three or five or 20 angels up there. No, we're supposed to understand it's just millions and millions and maybe billions and billions, and maybe it's like sand on the seashore, and maybe it's like the stars in the heavens. There are a lot of created, unseen spirit beings. The book of Hebrews puts it best, maybe, in my opinion. Hebrews 12, 22, I'll read it for you. But you have come to Mount Zion, if you're a Christian, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. So how many angels are there? They are innumerable. There you have it. You just can't possibly number them. There's no number that can capture how many there are. So again, don't just picture like maybe there's 50, maybe there's 100 angels up there. No, it's, there are so many, it's billions and billions perhaps. They are absolutely not numberable, not innumerable. All right, next. How often are angels mentioned in the Bible? This goes to their, relevant, uh, their, their relative importance in God's plan and in the history of redemption. Do they really matter? Do they show up much in the Bible? Why, Pastor Steve, are you taking us through angels? Aren't they just mentioned one or two times in the Bible? No, actually they are mentioned 273 times in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible. 273 times we have angels, angels, angels. Imagine I just said that 273 times. That's what's in your Bible. So we're not out on some little branch of minutia here that doesn't really matter and isn't worth our time. No, it would behoove us to know a little bit about these angels who show up 273 times in the Bible. So that's what we're doing today. Next question, what are their names? All right, there's billions and billions of them. So do they all have names? We don't know. Presumably because some of them do and they're revealed in the Bible. So here's a quiz for you cornerstoners. How many angels are named in the Bible? Three. It's three. So name one. One, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Those are the three. Gabriel, Daniel 8, 16. Michael, the archangel, Daniel 10, 13. Lucifer, the fallen angel, Isaiah 14, 12. So only those three are named in the Bible. Do others have names? Well, those three do, so probably all of them have names. Then why aren't we told more names? Because we don't need them. It's not likely you're going to be on a first-name basis with any angel, all right? Like maybe after the last day you will be. You'll get to know some, but uh, we don't really need to know all their names. We know three, and that's all God cared to reveal to us. Next question, so what do they do? What do they do? Well, on the pages of God's Word, we are told what these angelic beings do, and I'm not going to capture it all here, but the holy ones at least, they worship. We're really told about that. They worship holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they worship. But in addition to that, they carry messages. They deliver God's word. An angel delivered God's message to Joseph, to Cornelius, to Philip, for example. And in Scripture, we also see them providing food, protecting, delivering, encouraging, like after Jesus was tempted and fasted all those days out in the desert, angels came and ministered to him. They fed him, they strengthened him, they took care of them. Angels take care of the people of God. But probably one verse, Hebrews 1.14, will give us a very good summary of exactly what these spirit beings are intended to do. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering 
spirits, ministering, it's that word diakonos, serving. They are spirit beings who are made to serve. Well, who do they serve? Sent out to serve for the sake of those who, we're missing the word who, my bad, who will inherit salvation. So what did God create them for? What is their role? What is their one-sentence job description? It is this. God says to the angels, your place is to serve my people. You're here to serve the people of God. This may give us a little clue, by the way, into what was in Lucifer's heart when he said, not me. That's beneath me. That's below my pay grade. I don't serve no Christians. I don't serve those people of God. And we read in Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. What was that position? You serve the people of God. Angels said, no, I'm not staying in that. But they left their proper dwelling, Jude 6. They wouldn't stay where they're supposed to be in the strata, in the purpose and plan of God. But they were intended to be ministering spirits to serve believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, next question. What are their ranks? What are the strata? On earth we have ranks. In heaven there are ranks. There's stratification. So let's turn to several passages now that will help us with that. And I hope that in a number of these passages we're about to look at, Maybe you've read your Bible a bunch. I'm hoping I'm going to show you some things you've never seen that you can add to your angelology and your understanding of what's going on in the world. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the prince of the power of, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that of the spirits in the air, there's a prince. Well, what's a prince? Well, a prince is over a pauper. A prince is over a whole lot of other people. So there's a prince. This is Lucifer. This is Satan. He, He has a level of authority over others, fallen demons with him. He is called the prince of the power of the air. So there is rank among angels. The the devil was a very high-ranking angel. But let's go to Daniel chapter 10, which is a critical text for this. And in Daniel chapter 10, we find our hero, Daniel, and he's mourning for the state of his nation. He's actually been three weeks. He's only eating poor food. He's praying all the time, and he's mourning. Three weeks, that's all he's been doing, praying for his nation and mourning and eating just a little bit of food. And when the spotlight of Scripture is turned on on him, he's been three weeks doing that, and an angel appears to him. Let's notice what happens, Daniel 10, 12. Then he, the angel, said to me, Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So that's interesting. He started praying three weeks ago, and an angel arrived three weeks later and said, I'm here because of what you've been praying, and your words have been heard from the first day. Well, why did it take you three weeks to get here? So the angel explains that, Daniel 10, 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a spirit being. That's like the prince of the power of the air, but now apparently down lower in the strata, there is one who is over Persia. There, is the, there are other demons who are involved with Persia, but here's one who's over. He is the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and he withstood this angel 21 days. But Michael, 
one of the one of the holy angels, one of the chief princes. So there are various levels of princes among the holy angels, and Michael was a chief among them. He came to help me. So you got angels duking it out, and now another angel says you need help. I'll come and help you out with him. All right, and. And, and, and I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that certain angels are focused on, are related to the goings on in certain geographical areas, particularly uh, some nations, particularly certain kings. And they're, they're over these, they're influencing these for good or for evil. So this is clear from the Bible that at least in that day that was happening. We don't know from Scripture. The New Testament, for example, does not develop any further doctrine of this and warn us that, you know, like over Baltimore there's this and over, but there is, huh? And over, you know, over wherever else there's this. Um, we don't know. To what extent is this still the case today? But certainly was the case then, and there's more. Let's read on, Daniel 10, 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Got to fight him on my way back. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So there's another prince, geographically identified. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So Michael's associated with Israel. Others are associated with other nations. And this angel's got to be in a fight. And Michael's going to come and help him. So isn't that interesting? It's in the Bible. It's in the word of God. We believe the word of God. It is God's word. This is the truth. This is what's really going on up there. This kind of stuff is happening. We just, you know, we're all human. We just see the, we see the city, we see the buildings, we see the people. But we need to go up higher and see it all from God's vantage point and in light of the unseen and what's going on in the angelic realm, differing ranks of spirit beings who operate over the human world, in, at least in that example, over particular geographic locations, and some of them warring with others as they battle for those locations. So I'd say Baltimore is a pretty good candidate. And one who is a police officer and he's in the room officer and he's in the room right now, he's a Baltimore City police officer and just happened a few weeks ago after the service we were talking about Baltimore and you know what he witnesses on a regular basis all the time in bad parts of town and he, he kind of concluded his discussion with me of it all by saying it's satanic, it's demonic. There are demons over this thing. This is a cop who's there. This is a guy who sees what's going on. You know, the thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who does that stuff come from? That comes from the other team. That comes from the evil one. Is there a lot of that in Baltimore? Oh, man. In certain parts, you know, in a lot of parts. It's just unbelievable. I think we can safely say if there are demons in any American city, they're certainly in Baltimore. They're certainly seeking to influence things for evil and for ill in the city of Baltimore. Pray for Baltimore. Plant churches in Baltimore. Preach the gospel in Baltimore. Raise up godly men and women and children in Baltimore. Because that's what the city needs. Let's go on now to 1 Kings 22. Another rather important text to fill in some more blanks in our angelology. It kind of yields a lot. So here we are in 1 Kings 22, starting in verse 19. And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Another little throne room passage. 
and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said to all of them, who will entice Ahab? Now let me just pause. Who was Ahab? Ahab was the king of Israel, but he was an evil king. And God wants to bring his evil to an end. And who was Ahab's wife? Well, she was an evil woman named Jezebel. Mothers, do not name your daughters Jezebel. I know the name's in the Bible. Not a good pick, all right? She was a very evil woman, and she was married to King Ahab. And God says it's time to bump them off. So God says to the group there, there's evil angels and there's holy angels. The angels are gathered before him, just like if he gathered a bunch of humans. Some of them would be believers and some of them would not be. And so what we read is, um, the host of heaven are standing before him on his right hand and his left, and the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? I want one of you to volunteer that he may go up and fall in battle at Ramoth Gilead. And now you get a little conference on his left and on his right among the angels, and they're talking among themselves, and one said one thing and another said another. We're not told what they're saying. They're saying stuff like, you go, no, you go. I don't know anybody over there. You do. You go over there. Whatever they're saying, I don't know what they're saying. You're better equipped for that place. You go. Anyway, here's what happened. 1 Kings 22, 21. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? Isn't it interesting? God's giving them some discretionary powers. They're part of his counsel. He allowed them to decide, okay, which one of you? And now he wants to know, and how are you going to do it? By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. That's how we know this is a fallen angel. That's how we know this is an evil spirit. He's going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets of Israel. The mouths of the prophets of Israel will be moved by a demon. And they will prophesy falsely, leading King Ahab into confidence, go into battle, you'll conquer in the name of the Lord. And Ahab goes and he's bumped off because of a lying spirit. And what does God say to him? Now remember, God is holy. There's no evil in him at all. He's never the cause of evil. He is light and there's no darkness in him, no, none at all. But no evil occurs without his permission. And you'll see he gives permission. And so he said, all right, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. You will entice him. Go out and do so. Pretty interesting passage, isn't it? So there's a whole lot of things happen there. There's a council. He allows them to like talk among themselves. One of them stands forward. How are you going to do it? He had his own plan. God said, okay, you may do that plan. Go get him. And they did. And so we read, let's conclude this passage, 1 Kings 22, 23. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So should we imagine this only happened that once in that place and it never happens again anywhere in all of human history? No, we're, we're told this, we're given this glimpse so that we can know this is what's going on in the heavenly places up above us and it all spills down onto the earth. This is the real world. This is where we're really living. This is the kind of stuff that's really going on. This is influencing our world. We might imagine that you know, with, with Russia and Ukraine, was God like, oh, I didn't even know that was going to happen. No, was there any counsel like this about that and permission given? All right, you may move that guy to invade. The, we don't know, but there's a good chance. So we find out that angels, elect and evil, fallen and not fallen, all appear in God's presence. 
They counsel together. They do his bidding. They carry out his plans. They can only do what he allows them to do. They move kings. They move warriors to do this and not to do that. And some of them have some level of discretion and suggestion and participation in heavenly decision-making, and their decisions affect the earth. Don't let it be scary because God is absolutely sovereign over it all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So, next stop, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32 is one of the key passages in your angelology. The Apostle Paul is going to reference it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is. We'll look at that in just a minute. But this is one that that offers us a lot in our understanding. So it's a commentary on the gross idolatry into which Israel had fallen, the gods they were worshiping. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17. They, the Israelites, stirred him, God, to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations that provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So what's Israel doing? Israel's falling into idolatry, the idolatry of the peoples around them, and they're joining themselves in that, themselves in that idolatrous worship. They're actually going there and sacrificing to gods like Chemosh and Molech and others, They're sacrificing, and these are an abomination to God, and they provoke God to anger. Notice it says they're sacrificing to demons. So here's the part in this service where I just want to come right out and say, because I believe it's absolutely scriptural to say, that all the false religions on the planet are demonic. They're just demonic. They're not beautiful, wonderful examples of how humans are reaching up to God. No, quite the contrary. They are the the lowest examples of how humans reject God, reject his word, reject the Lord Jesus Christ, exchange the truth of God for a lie, and worship the creature rather than the creator. And all the false religions, you name one, and they're all demonic. They all come from evil influence on the planet. Paul reflects this. He reflects his awareness of this Deuteronomy 32 passage in 1 Corinthians 10. I'll put it up for you, verse 20. Paul says, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, this is all non-biblical, all non-Christian worship, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Don't be taking communion in church and then going down to the temple to save your job, to stay with your trade guild, to please the government and appease them so they don't come after you. Don't think I can compromise and drink this liquid and that liquid and it'll be okay. No, if you go down to the temple, you are drinking the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Four times he says, demons, 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 demons. He's talking about the false religions that were around in his day. He didn't say, now I know they're nice people. Well, they probably were. At least some of them were. And he didn't say, I know they mean well. That Some of them probably did. But he just came right out and said, what they're doing is demonic. There are demons behind their religion. Let me just tell you about something, experience I had back in 74. So I'd only been a believer two and a half, maybe three years, but I was in earnest 
learning scripture, trying to serve and follow the Lord, fellowship with other believers, growing in the things of Christ. I was in dead earnest. And in 74, I was a student at Washington Bible College, and they had just finished the Mormon tabernacle. Have you seen that down around the D.C. Beltway? Have you seen that great big building with the angel Moroni Baloni on top of it up there? Got a, I think he's got a big trumpet or something. And so before they actually consecrated that thing, they opened it, and you could go and take tours. So my Bible college had a bus. They were going to take any students who want to go on a tour of that temple. And I said, no. That place has got to be full of demons. I don't want to go to demon town. One of them might take a liking to me. One of them might try to sink his hooks in me. I want to be as far away from that place as I possibly can be. Now I realize that was kind of, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The students I knew who went there and came back didn't seem changed. So I guess I could have gone, but I did not want to because I thought that's the other team's house. I don't even want to go in their house. It's not, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. It's people trying to reach up to God. No, it's people rejecting God, rejecting his word, rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the gospel, making up their own religion, and it's idolatrous worship. It's an abomination to the living God, and it's demonic in its core. All right, strong stuff. It comes from God's word. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 82 is another very important, very illuminating passage that helps us piece together our angelology. Psalm 82. And this is a little bit, I, I'm altering the translation from whichever one you have in your lap, and I'm working more from what some of the Hebrew means. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can limp around in it a little bit. So here we have the divine council room again. And it says God, that is Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council. That's like elsewhere where we saw the Ancient of Days took his seat on his throne. So here we're there again. And Elohim, God, has taken his place among the divine council in the congregation of El, plural, of other Els. So he's Elohim and they're Els. They're God-like in that they're spirit beings, they're glorious, they're amazing, they're bright. And then it says, in the midst of the gods, they're called Els, gods, Elohim, he holds judgment. So we're in court, the court's in session. By the way, the apostle Paul says, don't you know that you will judge angels? You'll be part of the court one day and judge angels. And here's what God says to these fallen ones in the, in the group. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. And then verse 3, give justice to the weak, he says, and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Baltimore City. Amen? Does that fit what's needed in Baltimore City? Yes. And then there's a commentary on what God just said. They, the fallen angels that were there, have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. It's a mess. Psalm 82, 6, I said, this is God speaking, you are gods, you are little elves, sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, you fallen ones, like men you shall die. He'll consign them to hell, calling that the last death. And you will fall like any prince. Arise, then the psalmist says, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So what do we learn from this? We learn again about this heavenly council, 
There are elect angels and there are fallen evil angels in God's presence. And God speaks to the fallen angels, why are you doing all the bad things you're doing? Here's what you should be doing. You should be taking care of people. Um, so there are these angels doing these things. Let's go to the book of Daniel. I want to hurry on. Daniel chapter 4. I saw in the visions of my head, verse 3, as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher. Here's where they're called watchers. Angels are called watchers. Is that a particular brand of angel? Is that a particular strata? We don't know. Are all angels watchers? We don't know, but they're watchers. Behold, a watcher, a holy one, that's a spirit being, came down from heaven. And, and it shows Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to be cut down in his pride, but a stump will be left and he'll bounce back years later after he's been out grazing with the cattle for, what is it, seven years, then he'll come back. And so then we read Daniel 4, 17. The sentence on Nebuchadnezzar is by the decree of the watchers. Isn't that interesting? It's not just by God's decree, though God decrees all things that shall come to pass, but he gives them some discretion, and they decree, here's what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, the decision by the word of those holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. There are these watchers, and God permits them to decree What's going to happen over there? And they decree it, and God says, all right, it shall be so. Really interesting, huh? Thus ends our little tour through some biblical angelology, and I want to give you some closing observations. Here's observation number one. We should, we would be blessed by, we would do well to live every day with a throne room, unseen world, world view. Like, can I start something Whereas a church, we together at the same pace, the same verses at the same time, we memorize the throne room passages. Can we memorize the parts of Daniel? It's really all of Daniel 7, all of Revelation 4, all of Revelation 5. We'd be a different people if we did. We'd be walking around just stunned, amazed in the world with, with like these pictures in our head of what's going on in the heavens and how it's raining down onto the earth. You should live every day. We should live with a throne room, unseen world, world view. Because the temptation in our fallenness is to just be like we're almost naturalists. All there is is nature. All there is is stuff. All I see is stuff. All I see is things. All I interact with is things. And I'm never thinking, wait a minute, there are things above the things. And there's a God above those things. And there's a hierarchy going on here. And there are spirit beings who are powerful and numerous. And they're very present in what's going on in my world. We should live every day with that worldview. Number two, we should realize that we are at war with unseen beings. We are rightly called the church militant. We are the church at war. We are embattled. We will one day be the church at peace. That'll be a great day. But till then, till then, we are the church at war. We are fighting unseen enemies. You know, Paul says that in Ephesians 6, 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. You are a wrestler. They are those whom you wrestle. 
these, these spirit beings we've been reading about, the fallen ones, you are in a wrestling match with them. No surprise that if you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and I did this recently, and write down all the verbs that Paul gives to Timothy, Timothy, do this, Timothy, they're all very masculine, and a whole lot of them are very warfare-like or battle-like or wrestling-like. There's a whole lot of that because that's pastoral ministry, by the way. We're in a war. We're not just like out for a little cakewalk, whatever that means. When it's not all, all hearts and flowers, it's just not all fun and love and everything. Well, I hope it's all love, but no, we're the people of God embattled. One of the problems with the church of Jesus Christ in some quarters today is they don't look embattled. They look like they're working very hard to rebrand Christianity so that they can comfortably fit in and be accepted by the world. We don't do that. We expect to be embattled. We expect they're not going to say a lot of what we believe, but we're not about to play it down or rebrand it or soften it or you know, smooth off the rough edges of the faith. No, we're the church at war. We're at war with unseen beings. Number three, some of you are going to be glad for this one. We should not get all nutty about demons. All right, you know somebody all nutty about demons? Yeah, don't become like them. We should not get all nutty about demons, imagining things, inventing things about evil spirit beings, things that are not found in Scripture. And you know, Scripture is what we go by, amen? So if anybody's saying, well, demons this, demons that, demons the other, and they do, there's lots of that out there, demons this and demons that and demons the other, you say, wait a minute, the thing you just said, do they ever do that in Scripture? Actually, they don't then I don't believe you're the real deal. And most of everything you hear people saying, well, demons did this and angels did that and whatever, they didn't do it in Scripture. Let me give you some examples so that you don't go getting all nutty. So Debbie and I have a relative, extended family. I will say it's on her side. <laughs> we have a relative who lives in Texas. We run into him at funerals and at weddings and stuff because you know, they they're both from Virginia. And... Uh, my, he's an experience. He is highly skilled at turning every sentence of every conversation into something about demons. So everything is about demons. Everything's because of demons. Any problem is because of demons. And all he ever wants to talk about is demons. My brothers and sisters, people in the Bible didn't do that. The men who wrote the pages of the New and Old Testament did not do that. They're not just always, 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 everything's demons. A whole lot of it's you. You messing with something from the evil side? He says to you, mortify the members of your flesh. Gouge out eyes and cut off hands if they're offending you. He, tell, he doesn't say, well, it's just demons. You just need to pray against the demons, rebuke the demons in Jesus' name or something. No, none of that's in the Bible. Let me give you another example. We had a man who used to be part of this church, and the poor man, I, I feel for him because he wasn't well. But he called me. He called me to his house. I went to visit him. actually went to visit maybe three or four times over this whole circumstance. And uh, he told me that there were demons living out in his bushes at nighttime. You could kind of see their green eyes looking out of the bushes. There are demons living in his basement. There are demons living in his walls. They're talking to him at night. You can just kind of see him if you look real carefully and, and so on. And I thought, all right, in the Bible, are there ever demons with green eyes and bushes? No. 
in the Bible, are there ever demons living in your walls talking to you? No. What's going on here? Well, he was on a mega dose of painkillers, oxycodone, and I'm no, I'm no professional. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I'm pretty sure he was also schizophrenic. And so it was all in his head, but it was demons, 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 demons. Everything was demons. Don't get all nutty about demons. Don't be like, any of you old enough to remember Jimmy Swaggart? He's still at it, actually. How can he possibly still be at it? Back in 88, and then he did this again in 91, but in 88 there was a big outcry because he was found, I think he was driving a rented Jaguar, and he had a woman of ill repute who wasn't his wife in the seat beside him, and he was found, he was caught. So what did Oral Roberts, the Christian leader of, Christian leader in quotes, of Oral Roberts University do? Oral Roberts laid hands on him and cast out the demons of lust. So now it's all better. So he's right back in the pulpit, right back in ministry, right back to work as a man of God, because it was demons. So you start to get nutty, like nobody in Scripture does that. It doesn't work that way in Scripture. In Scripture, you find a pastor in a rented Jaguar with that girl over there. He's out, man. He's out. He's very out. And it's him who did it, right? It's on him. And, and this this warfare praying thing. There are books about this. There are conferences about this. There are Bible teachers about this. And here's, here's their thing. It's like, what we need to do, and they'll do this. They'll come to your town. You can, let's invite them to Baltimore. Here's what they'll do. They'll, they'll hole up in a motel for maybe three or more days to, to let God speak to them and identify to them the names of the demons that are over this city. Now, I've already told you, I think there probably are some big demons over Baltimore City, but they think I can identify the names, and then what we do is we spread the names among all the people of God, and we get them all praying warfare prayers against the demons that are over the city, and that's what we do. I thought we preached the gospel, plant churches, baptize believers, lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, build strong believers on the word of God. No, their strategy for Baltimore City would be we need to identify the demons. I don't know how you do that. And then we need to get people praying over them. I hope you all don't go for this stuff. Years ago, we were on vacation at Lake Tahoe, and I found in the grocery store Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness. How many of you read This Present Darkness? Yeah, it was entertaining. Uh, throw it away. It's, it's imagination. It was fun, imaginative reading, but it's not the Word of God. It's not biblical. And there's this personal version of warfare praying. I just... Googled it and found this is the first one. There's millions of them. There's myriads of myriads and 10,000 times 10,000 of them. And here's one. I just lifted this prayer. Satan, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to leave my presence with all your demons. All right, did any apostles ever teach the people of God that's what you need to do? No. Is there anything like that in the word of God? No. In fact, listen to Jude 9, verse 9 put it up. But when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So we don't get all like, I'm Mr. Power here, I'm rebuking demons and I'm rebuking the devil. No, 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 there's nothing about that in the Word of God. Go by the Word of God. Test all things by Scripture. So I'm preaching today about 
demons in the Bible. Let's not go getting all nutty about demons. Point number four, I already said this, so I won't say much more about it. We should see false religions for what they are. They are demonic. Listen to what Paul says about them in Romans 1, 21. Here's the verse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Then what did they do? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They made up their own religion because they rejected the true and living God. So I'm just saying to you again, Pray for people who are in other religions because they're lost and their religions have demons behind them. Number five, number five, we should take up the war armor of Ephesians 6. You say, with all that going on, what should I do? Well, wait till we get to Ephesians 6 or go ahead and peek ahead if you wish. And there Paul says, here's what you do, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and unseen forces and spiritual wickedness. Here's what you should do. Make sure you got on firmly the helmet of salvation. Maybe you should got, make sure you got the breastplate of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure you got the sword of the Spirit. Make, you got, make sure you got your waist gird with the belt of truth. Thank you. Make sure your feet are made ready with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Like, get your armor on is what he tells us to do. In the face of that spiritual battle, we should take up the war armor. Every day, take up your war armor. And finally, number six, and this will be a nice way to end a message that could be a little bit oppressive. Number six, we should take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than all the unseen foes in the heavens. Amen? He's God. And so we read in 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. The them in the context is antichrists. There are many in the world already in that day. You've overcome them. You keep on believing. They're not taking you away from Christ. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than all of them together, and he can keep you in Jesus Christ. He can keep you believing in the Savior and the Word of God, and He is greater than he who is in the world. So we're not living in fear of unseen evil forces. We're not cowering. We're not terrified. We're not all afraid. We're not all worried. No, we're all living in the power of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual armor and the Word of God we're shining gospel light into this present darkness. The light pierces the darkness. We're liberating men and women and boys and girls from the chains from the pit. And if we want to take a city like Baltimore, and we do, best thing we could do is plant churches and help churches that are planting churches and put the gospel everywhere. Pray for Baltimore. Pray for the world. Pray for our police officers, some of whom are in Baltimore. Pray for the light to outshine the darkness. Amen. Thank you for listening to that sermon. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray to you that you would send your word and the power of the Holy Spirit through holy men and women into 
our city, Baltimore, and into all the earth. We pray that in darkened Alshaffensburg, there may be a penetration of the light coming from those, that small band of those people of God and others like them, people in Ukraine, where there are many believers, folks, many believers, many pastors, many good people, and a lot of the pastors have stayed behind to try and minister to all the people. Great time to share the gospel. They're there preaching the gospel rather than fleeing the country. Mm. Father, we pray for them. Would you strengthen them? Would you protect them? Would you empower them? That the word of God may go forward in this time. We know that other pastors have had to flee and they're taking the gospel with them to other countries in Europe where there's very little gospel. Use them in those places, Father, we pray. Thank you for Cornerstone Church. May we be a people who live with a throne room in our minds. We ask in the name of Jesus.